thank you for joining us today at RIT Podcast. Uh, we got a very special guest guest today, uh, Benjamin Sigal. Yes. Any relation to uh, Stephen? <laughs> you know, I get that uh, not as often as you might think. I guess because he's kind of faded out of the limelight. But yes, no, no, no relation. Yes, no. Never met <laughs> him. Never. No, unfortunately, I don't get any uh, early releases of the like three hundred movies he releases a year. Uh, Darrington. <laughs> Darrington, you ever met anyone famous? Um, not not anybody that, like, other than like who I would consider famous. Like, you know, um, there's a there's an author of a role playing game series, uh, and his name is John Wick. No relation, um, but to the actual John Wick, you mean? The, the <laughs> John, no relation the to John the John Wick from the movies. Um, <laughs> but he's a he's a the writer real, for AEG. Oh, yeah, the real cool. the real John Wick, and I, I, I'm um, he he's been my hero since I was a kid. It was the first role playing game I picked up was uh, Legend of the Five Rings, so uh, getting an opportunity to meet him was uh, was a big big event in my life. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. What about you, Ben? Uh, I mean, personally, I've only ever played Lest- uh, the Lestrade's Castle D and D, but no, uh, in terms of famous people, I uh, oh, I one t- I one time I met. Um, Penn Jillette after a magic show. Oh, I was very excited. Right. Famous atheist too, so yeah, pretty cool. I love Coolest. I watch it every week. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Bring that show back. My my girlfriend was coming on a plane to Santa Barbara, and uh, what's her face? Sigourney Weaver was in the uh, the plane with her. Sigourney Weaver, actually, you would never guess from the TV, man, but you see her in person. She's actually quite attractive. But uh, anyway, I'd made a sign for my girlfriend, and uh, she, she signed it. It was really That's nice. That's pretty cool. So Darrington's uh, obviously my guest uh, host for today. So he's trying his, his lot out, seeing how he can do it. You've seen him as a, you obviously saw him as a hostile guest. Mm. <laughs> he was in the hot seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Street Fighter, uh, the anti-theistic Street Fighter, who loves his everybody he comes in contact with. So. All right. So, uh, how do you how do you think about being in a bit of a hot seat today, Ben? Fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely interested in exploring these ideas. I've actually been like asking just all sorts of people. People who are interested, people, just regular believers, like what they make of the argument and trying to get their feedback. I I just find the the argument really really fascinating. Um, and it's kind of an elegant um, response to the problem of evil. I, I would say an addition to the problem of evil that I, I, I never quite thought of, but seems like now that it's staring us in the face, can't be ignored. Right. Well, first of all, let's uh, let's just get this. Let's get the cat. Let's let the cat out the bag with this. Uh, what what's your position as far as God or? Oh, so yeah, I would say I'm an agnostic atheist. I, I don't, um, I don't think there is sufficient evidence to justify a belief in God. So, on the docking scale, you'd be like a five point five or six. I'm unfamiliar with the scale, but uh, could you describe it for me, and then I could tell you my placement. <laughs> so the... one would be me. Okay. Oh, guaranteed. You want to describe it? Yeah, so um, Richard Dawkins famously described the scale of 
um, it's sort of Gnosticism, right? It's a 10 being 100% firm belief and a, mm. a one or a zero being 100% firm disbelief. So, um, and Richard Dawkins put himself at about a four. He says, you know, he, he, nobody, nobody can prove it one way or the other. So you can't say 100% that it doesn't happen. But mm. uh, so as a relation, I am an absolute zero. I, I think that the, uh, that God is inconsistent with its own story. So, um, hmm. and I'll let Isaiah speak for himself. Well, I think this scale goes from one to seven. So one would be me. I'm an absolute solid one bazillion. I know that God exists. Okay. Right. Then the seven would be someone who's the hardest, 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 hardcore atheist, which I don't really think there's really even anyone like, I, actually, I take that back. I have, I have met someone who said they know that there's not a God. But uh, I think even Dawkins would get up to like a six point like eight and say, well, there's can't really say 100% sure, you know? So like a four would be a true agnostic because, you know, when we're talking about these, there's actually quite a variance as far as agnosticism, you know? There's not just one agnostic. There's a uh, famous Herbert Spencer, you know, says, well, hey, you know, it's, there's two different styles of agnosticism, right? It says either one, you say, I don't know, or two, it's impossible to know. That's very different, right? Mm. That's very different. And so there's a, there's also with atheism, there's a, I don't even want to call it out. My last host was calling this small A versus capital A atheist or softer heart atheist, you know? Yeah, one is, that. hey, I don't believe there's a God. One is there's not a God. Right. If you ask me on that scale, whether or not I believe there's like a prime mover, whether there's like an original starter of the universe, maybe I'd be closer to like 50-50, like who knows, like, I don't know. Um, but in terms of like very specific religious gods, like whether the God of the Bible exists, I would be more skeptical and I suppose closer to um, the, or perhaps even Darrington, uh, Darrington's position. I've never heard somebody describe himself as a zero. So that's, that's, I, I love, I love having this, I love having this, this podcast because I just love hearing people's positions, you know? It, 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 to me, it comes down to as the theist part of the conversation, right? So if you say like, is there a creator or an all spirit or something out there supernatural? Sure. There could be, right. I'm probably a five on that. Um, but it, the way as presented by religion, like as presented by theism, um, that doesn't gel with me personally. Right. Right. Um, right. So yeah, if, if you ask me how strong my belief is in the Christian God or the Jewish God or, you know, Muhammad, um, yeah, my, it gets closer and closer to that one or two area. So well, that would mean that you actually believe in God. So I'm not sure. If you oh, want to I'm sorry. Six or sorry, six or seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Closer to that. Area. Okay. We need to put up a put up an infographic or something. Of... I'll put it this way: I'm 90% confident that the Christian God doesn't exist. 95. 95. Uh, how would you? How would you like? That's a pretty specific number. Where would you even fathom that? 
Well, 10% chance is kind of a big chance, right? If you have a 10% chance of winning a bet, um, <laughs> might not be that bad. If the odds are right, right? And so what's interesting is, you know, you, I would, I suppose I put the, the percentage even higher than that because what you're weighing against is the possibility of infinite gains, right? That's the, that's the promise of the Christian religion, right? That's, then that gets complicated when you talk about the, the weight of other religions and yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Anyway, we'll just say very, very high, very high confidence that, uh, numbers are stupid. Very, very high confidence that the Christian God doesn't exist. Were you referring to Pascal's wager right now? Pascal's wager and the um, the many gods objection, the fact that, you know, it, you have mutually inconsistent gods who will send you to different hells if either one exists. So it, taking the wager is a bad idea because you have just as, you have no reason to believe that you'll select the right god. Right. Pa Pascal and did not meet Bayes. If Pascal understood Bayes' theorem a little bit better, probably he would have been an atheist. Yeah. I, I don't know because his argument was aimed at atheists, not at justifying his own belief. But but his argument didn't take into consideration other priors, right? So base theorem, you have to consider all of the priors. And all mm. of the priors is all of the other religions. Yeah, but he explicitly said we don't have to worry about them because they couldn't possibly be real. So So the problem <laughs> I would never ever ever use Pascal's wager to try to talk to anyone who's not a believer. You could say, for example, well, if you don't play the Powerball, then you're never gonna win it, right? Right. But then you can say, well, if you don't mortgage your house and put everything you have in the lottery, then you have a really low chance of winning because if you just play with $1, <laughs> you don't really establish that that's a better option. You know what I mean? Right. It's like. Okay, that might actually, if Muhammad, if Muhammad actually was telling the truth, then chances are you might get a worse punishment than if he just said, if he object, if he said, I'm, I'm out of this one, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. in that sense, I don't think it's a good argument at all. But um, I do think that the worst argument against God is the problem uh, of evil and pain. Uh, if I was an atheist and I was, that is a very uh, emotional argument to make. It's not really based in, mm. in logic or in fact or rationality. So there's there's about three or four arguments, some of which I've came up against God while I was an atheist, but I would have a much, much, much harder time answering those questions uh, before I would the problem of pain. And I think you got to see that. The problem of evil has been around a really long time. I think it predated Descartes. Descartes had his own answer, um, and then Leibniz came up with one of the more popular answers, an answer that um, still is touted by a lot of apologetics today, the idea that this is the best of all possible worlds, that any amount of evil that God allows is the necessary amount of evil to have the maximally best world possible. You know, suffering and struggle and strife, like those high, not only do they highlight um the the triumphs of the human spirit but like they make possible triumph right that's kind of the idea so this is the best of all possible worlds um and that's a that's a pretty good objection and there's a lot of good objections to um to the problem of evil which is why i don't think it's a very persuasive problem for uh 
for theists because theists have been working on solving it for a long, long time. However, those arguments, those counter arguments to the problem of evil have an interesting property in that they can be mirrored to argue for a God that is inconsistent with Christian beliefs. Whereas, so the, the problem of evil starts, let's just start at the very beginning, because you have an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God, right? If the same arguments that Christian uses to defend the all-knowing, all-loving, powerful God can be flipped to defend a all-knowing, all-powerful evil God, that becomes itself an objection to Christian theology. Yeah. So, so uh, Darrington? Yeah, I, I think it goes, it goes far, goes back farther than, than modern philosophy, right? This goes back to the Greeks and Plato. You know, we, we still haven't defined morality yet. We still haven't defined virtue yet. So, sure. But the interesting thing about this problem is that no matter what your working theory of good and evil is, like there's, there's several theories, and I'd recommend to anyone listening um, a discussion between uh, a YouTuber by the name of Cosmic Skeptic and this PhD philosopher. It's one of the most recent videos on his channel. It's fascinating. Uh, and they go through the different theories of good and evil that are consistent, I believe, with a, with a Christ, with Christian reading of the Bible, right? They go through... Um, Augustinian um, readings of good and evil. They go through divine command theory. They go through um, the privation theory of evil, which privation theory of uh, good and evil is just that evil is suffering and pain and um, good is the, the relief or, or human flourishing that is on the opposite end of that spectrum. Um, and what's interesting is the burden is actually on the skeptic to show that the logic can be mirrored for any theory of good and evil. And if the skeptic can do that, then you have equal likelihood of both good and evil gods existing. Now, that doesn't mean that you should just conclude that God's a little bit of A and a little bit of B, right? If I say we have an equal probability, I have an equal probability right now of being in... Los Angeles or New Jersey. That doesn't mean you should assume that I am therefore in Ohio, right? You shouldn't assume that you are in the average of those two possibilities. Right. And so if the atheist can build this case for each problem of good, then they have this equal probability situation and you shouldn't necessarily believe in one over the other. Now, do I think this on its own is a good reason for a theist to be suspicious of uh, their own beliefs. No, because as Christopher Hitchens said, one of the best arguments for theism is the cumulative argument, right? And so there is a cumulative argument for probably a Christian loving God. And so you would have to address a, a many deeper issues. And usually when, you, when I see theists talk deeply about their beliefs, it typically comes down to change in their own life. That seems to be the right, thing that right. they, they hold on to the strongest. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to unpack in any single neat argument why you might be suspicious of those 
that justification for your beliefs. But what I do think is that it provides a really interesting mechanism for mirroring the theist beliefs and, mm -hmm. and showing what an alternate view of the world can look like. And the really fascinating thing is that many of the believers I've talked to so far find the idea of an evil God absolutely incredible, like absurd. And for them, I, I like to point out that that's a glimpse of what it feels like for an atheist to, to look at their beliefs and, and to, when they're preaching that we have good reason to believe in God, how an atheist might hear on their ears uh, mm -hmm. what it sounds like. Um, and so I think it's just a really fascinating argument, um, and I think it could be a really good, a strong leg of an argument for atheism. That, that reminds me of uh, Rocco's Basilisk. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. Um, it's a, a thought experiment. Um, there's some good YouTube videos on it. Um, but the, the thought experiment goes like this. Imagine in the distant future, an artificial intelligence has become so powerful, oh, no, no. it's capable of fully simulating us and any uh, reality that it wants. And its, its goal is to maximize um, something, you know, it's got some, some maximization algorithm going on mm -hmm. and it's determined that the best way for it to maximize that thing is to look back at us and say, if any given human, um, pr promoted its existence, then it would simulate that human in a heaven-like environment where they would just experience bliss for eternity. Um, but if, a human fought against the eventual creation of the basilisk, then um, then it would create it would simulate a hell, right? Eternal punishment. Mm -hmm. So the question really comes down to you know knowing now that unlike a few minutes ago that the basilisk could potentially exist, are you morally obligated to promote its existence or morally obligated to fight against it? Knowing that fighting against it would ultimately mean your eternal simulated damnation you know the first letter is is respect in the rat and so first i just i want to have respect and saying to, to being honest and telling you guys i don't have all the answers to everything okay uh i can debate some of these things to a point but at the end of the day uh there's some stuff that if i didn't say i know a couple of times uh, i would be lying to you guys you know so the other part is is the uh, you know, of course, along with that comes a humility, which is saying, hey, I'll say the equivalent of, uh, of this, uh, Darrington, just this whole thing that if you want to say God is good in one way or the other, is that if you, you walk into a movie theater and you said, hey, you know, I really want to zoom in here so I could see it. So you pulled out a binocular that you made out of straws and you're seeing like the corner of the movie for one second and then you got to walk out and you don't get to see anything else so in a, in a sense if the universe is billions of years old and it's billions of light years across we get to see thing in a tiny fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second so to think that you or i or anyone else is going to have all the answers is positively ridiculous but uh that being said you guys have both seen the matrix right yeah yeah great movie so imagine if you asked me what my opinion of was part one 
and they're at part four right now. It's getting ready to come out, right? Not many Exciting. people like the last one. Mm. But let's say let's say we didn't go at the last one, and I said, well, I really didn't like the the movie because the good guy, uh, Neo. I know there's some theories that Neo is actually not the good guy. Mr. Smith is the good guy, but we won't go down that rabbit hole for, for this second. <laughs> because actually, the the part three actually introduces this concept of like simulated universes and maybe like a multiverse, honestly. Uh, so it's 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 a complicated issue. But if you were to see the if, if you were to ask me my opinion about the first one, and I said, well, I hated it because. Neo died at the end. What would you say to that, uh, Darrington? That Neo died at the end of the first one? Yeah. And Neo didn't die at the end of the first one. Okay, exactly. So if I only base my opinion of the story up to a certain point, then it would be inaccurate, you know? And so I think what happens is, and I'm sure Christians do this as well, you cherry pick parts of the, uh, the Bible that you want to look into. And uh, I think um, atheists do this as well when they when they cherry pick parts of the Bible that they want to attack, because mm -hmm. you're not looking at the whole picture where it starts and where it ends. Because as I said, in the Garden of Eden, everybody was made to be vegetarian, you know. And in the end, when the, you have a description of heaven, uh, everybody's vegetarian again. The, even the animals, as I said, the wolf lays down with the uh, with the lamb. So it's like you're like stopping the movie halfway through and you'd be like, okay, this movie sucks because the good guy is not going to win or whatever. Mm. So I think at bare minimum, you have to take the source material of what you're talking about. But I mean, there's much harder problems to answer such as hell or, you know, the isolationism that exists with Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and stuff like that. There's, that's what I'm saying. I, I think this is a very easy problem to solve. There's much bigger problems that I think uh, that give me more sleepless nights. I feel like what Isaiah, what you, um, the, the most compelling argument that you make, and maybe Benjamin can speak on this, is that um, you cannot judge whether an act is good or evil um, unless you understand the ultimate ramifications and outcomes mm -hmm. um, and the full scope of the universe. Yeah. So. You know, if, if World War II, World War Two didn't happen, we would not have the UN. Um, so, you know, good things can be an outcome of very, very terrible things, right. and um, that's actually kind of a really good argument for um, your side of the story. I think. What do you but think? Not ben? with the evil God hypothesis, because that cuts <laughs> both ways. That's the thing. That's what's so beautiful about it. You can say you would never really know if you were in the universe of the good God versus the evil God, because sure, things might seem good for now. I mean, this is one of the most peaceful centuries that we've ever lived in. This is, the, the historians actually call this the long peace, ushered in, ironically, by nuclear weapons. Um, we haven't had full-scale uh, global war in a very long time. But I could always say, of course, well, you can't see the consequences down the road. It's going to get so much worse, right? And so you can't really be sure that the good you see now is actually evidence against the evil God. So we have just as much reason to believe in the evil right. God. Well, I, and I yeah. would go a step further and say, what's, what is the distinction between that and no God at all and just things happening naturally? Oh, well, no, no, no. That's a, that's a big distinction. So, like, whether or not... 
So we're asking, how do we justify the belief in an all-loving God if they're also supposed to be all-knowing and all-powerful? Um, not necessarily whether or not um, there is any God at all. But the evil God rebuttal specifically says, doesn't dispute whether or not we are justified in believing in just any God. Um, it's, it's disputing whether or not we believe in the Christian loving God. And so it wouldn't require you to be an atheist, even if you accepted the evil God hypothesis. You might find yeah. it, it more psychologically pleasing to abandon the idea of God if it's possible that we have an evil God running the universe, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't require you logically to accept um, atheism. So, so Darrington, I, I have to say this. Uh, it would be better off to not think, at least in terms of this topic, about atheism at all, because we're discussing one side of uh, the theism problem. Because in the best case scenario, Darrington, in the best case scenario, and I, and I explained this to you in the last, what, best case scenario is that, I guess it should be worst case scenario, is that you actually prove that God is evil, right? And then, oh, well, tough luck. You know, we're all out of luck. I'm equally as out of luck as you are. Okay. We rebel. That's that's Good. the consequence, the moral consequence of, of an evil God is that if you are going to be a moral uh, sentient creature with free will, you, you rebel. Well, you've heard of just war theory? And I uh, think yes. uh, yeah. just war theory has a very good, uh, it's not exactly biblical, biblically based, but some of it is. But It's, is it's influenced by Augustine. But you don't fight, yeah, but you don't fight wars that you, that you couldn't win because that's an immoral, uh, it's an immoral thing to do. Uh, so Mexico doesn't try to invade America because their people are going to get smashed on, you know? Anyway, no, so you, you can't anyway. you can't ever tell whether you're going to win a war or not. Like we didn't know going into World War II whether we were going to win or not. We we fought it so, for a number of reasons. A, one I of which being that it's a moral question. So that's a completely separate issue. That we got to deal with this issue first, and then we will have another podcast okay. on that outcome. Because okay. a slightly better scenario, which you could prove, mm -hmm. and I might lean more towards this one, is that hey, maybe God's not all all good. You know, we, we definitely know from the Bible, if you just go from the biblical description, is that he's everywhere, okay? Second of all, well, we might think that he's all-powerful in the natural realm. There's some things that are logically impossible to do, like ask yourself, could God commit suicide? You know, mm. could he make a rock so big that he couldn't lift it? So if he couldn't defeat an all-powerful uh, entity, then he can't do everything. So... Being able to do everything is self-contradictory uh, because it's like saying this statement is false. You know, if it's true, then it's false. And if it's false, then it's true. Mm. So it's a self-contradictory. So anyway, those are the best two case scenarios you could possibly prove, Darrington. And so I don't want to go down the rabbit holes. You, you become an atheist as a result of this or, or whatever, because maybe, you know, maybe a Hinduism or maybe a, a Buddhism type God could possibly be real. And we're getting reincarnated over and over and over and over again. Until or Zeus could be real or Odin or Cthulhu, right? Like they're all equally probabilistic if we're just trying to use philosophy to define them. 
if they are indeed supernatural and can't be, um, you know, we can't in increase the probability of their existing one over the other, then they're all equally probable of existing. And that's my problem with the whole argument is if you cannot distinguish between one and the other, there, there is a, there is a position that you can fall back to, right? It, it's not proving the atheist has nothing to prove, right? So if you, if you make an assertion, you must provide some sort of justification for that assertion, or it can just be discarded. Okay, so so this is where my my realm of apologetics might vary very different from your average Christian because I don't believe in teleological arguments. I don't believe in ontological arguments. Cosmological? Kind of, because I I think that it's possible that God maybe maybe the Big Bang did happen and maybe God resulted as 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 a result of that. So I don't know. Maybe he mastered physics and he were around the clock somehow and started it all so i i don't really know I, that's not i don't believe that that's true i'm just saying that's a that's one possible outcome i could think about but i, I think that's very unlikely but hmm. if you ask me where god came from i really don't know so anyway that being said durrington you're, you're it's not exactly a blind guess okay it really isn't because the Bible makes like certain claims that if you do these X, Y, and Z, then God will do X, Y, and Z as well. So people sometimes say that, oh, prayer doesn't work because we've scientifically studied it. Well, the Bible actually puts parameters on praying. So for example, the book of uh, Peter, excuse me, the book of Peter says that if you're mistreating your wife, then God's not going to hear your prayers, you know, or if you're praying for selfish things that you're like, oh, yeah, well, I prayed for a million dollars yesterday. God didn't do anything. Well, you completely contradicted what the Bible actually says about prayer. You know, so um, there's things maybe that's like that. A, maybe that's a conversation for another meeting because I, I have a lot to say about that, but I don't want to uh, take any time away from. And this is, this is why I'd rather focus yeah. solely on this problem of evil. From what I've experienced, it seems as though God intentionally did some evil so that people wouldn't believe in him so that uh, when he redeems everybody later on in the future, that uh, we would have something to, to, to measure, you know, uh, we'd have something to measure the eternal glory that we would experience. So, for example, I said, look, if you're in heaven, the Bible talks about these creatures called the seraphim, where they, they have to ban, they're basically hovering around God all day. And you might think that'd be awesome, but dude, you imagine how boring that would be to spend like five billion years just flying around God, you know? Mm. So I think if you're in that situation, you would generally want to go experience some kind of life that to where your teeth are rotting out, to where you're getting cancer or whatever. You'd want to go and experience pain so that you would, have something to contrast the, uh, the, the the eternal glory. Does that make sense? Um, no. So, well, it's not that it doesn't make sense. I, I think I understand you, and I, I understand the argument. I'm just not sure I would believe that an infinitely power God, infinitely powerful God wouldn't be capable of constructing uh, a heaven that continuously adjusts for our own internal 
hedonic adjustment. And by hedonic adjustment, I mean the notion that if things get really, really good, you adjust to them and learn to find problems in your life, right? Like more money, more problems is, is, a, is a common saying. Um, but the notion- more money. More money. More mon yeah, more money, more problems. The, the notion that we as, as human beings, um, whatever our internal, internal psychological states are, will tend to have a regularity despite the differences and material consequences as they change around us. Now, if God, I, I'd imagine God could just hit the, hit all the right buttons in our brains or our souls, whatever, I guess we're in heaven. And he could make it like, he could make flying around uh, him for billions of years, probably really enjoyable. Like think about how a lot of people get enjoy, uh, enjoyment today. Some people sit in front of a screen, hit some buttons, and they'll do that for hours and hours and hours, and they love it. They love it, right? They get uh, they get to go through stories, or maybe not even stories, right? Maybe they're not even playing campaigns. Maybe they're just doing uh, Call of Duty and constantly competing with others. And the the thrill of competition is something that keeps them enthralled in the game uh, on a constant basis. I think God would be capable of doing something like that in heaven. Okay. So let me get right down to it. Let me ask both of you guys this, okay? Dar I'll start with Darrington. Darrington, do you intrinsically believe that uh, free will is a good thing? No. Okay, so it's not. Uh, what about you, Ben? I don't know how to answer. Oh, okay, I'll answer how I would answer. I don't think free will is an intelligible concept. So so it is neither good nor bad. Okay. I so, don't think good a good thing is an intelligible concept. And that's kind of what I mean. Like we never defined good and bad in the first place. Right. So you could say like free will is a good thing. To what end? Right. It is is it good for what? Sure. Um, uh well, cards on the table, I'm a bit of a moral weirdo. Um I'm what what you call an error theorist. I don't think morality is a real i don't think there is objective morality i'll put it that way and i don't think well, there's yeah, an intrinsic value to anything yeah. right like yeah. we we provide value to things yeah based off of our goals and we okay. define them as good or bad whether or not they're conducive to those goals yeah so uh, let me let me agree. let me rephrase this in a society do you think it's good for people to have freedom in a society you mean like freedom from others like other people not like yeah. controlling your lives yeah 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 i like yeah that. I, I i enjoy that okay. yes i, I think because, i think that that is conducive to a goal if your goal is individualistic expression um which is in my opinion a more healthy society right so if, if your goal is not a healthy society therefore you need individual expression therefore you need uh, freedom of choice then, um, you know, you, you could define that another way. But because so, we believe these things, then it is a good thing to find that right. outcome. And Autonomy I, and is I good. Guess, so I guess that that's, we're kind of at an impasse right here as to how you're going to define, well, what, what, do, what do you think is good, you know? Mm. Uh, because obviously we have that inside of the realm of Christianity, when I take a look at something like uh, 1984, where 
like pretty much everyone's autonomy and freedom to even think uh, is taken away. And they have the maxim in there that uh, uh, freedom is slavery and uh, ignorance is straight. And so mm -hmm. it may seem like, it may genuinely seem that freedom is a good thing, but when you take a look at the overall consequences that you're gonna experience, for example, uh, just take like the internet, you know? What happens when people get to search around the internet and upload stuff that they wanna do uh, anonymously? And then go take a look at what goes around and what circles around the internet at any time, if that's a good thing or not. So I do think North Korea takes it to an absurd uh, extreme because it's to benefit a very, very, very small amount of people at the top. But I do, I would value, if they would remove that concept, I would actually move, I would prefer to live in North Korea over that because having too much freedom, I just do not believe the slightest sense of the word is, is a good thing. So I would I would voluntarily give it up to experience I mean, a more, you, more safety. More safety. Yeah. So absolutely. you value you value safety over freedom to the extent that you would essentially be a slave of the state. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. We have very different yeah. values. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I, I live in South Korea, so th as it is we don't have the same kind of freedom that you do in America. So well, I can walk around the street. Different freedoms, right? So economically, you're, you're very free. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like use of your own body, the ability to imbibe drugs, alcohol, or anything like that, not very free. Mm -hmm. So Go let's on. talk about this like freedom thing, you know, because you have the freedom to make choices of the choices that are available to you. You don't have the freedom mm -hmm. to do anything. Nobody does ever. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're, you don't have the freedom to avoid consequences. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, I, in Arizona, a big thing is like gun rights. A lot of Arizonans like to carry around their pistols. And, you know, should everybody be able to, in Arizona, be able to have, have the freedom to have firearms? Sure. Should everybody in Arizona have the freedom to have nuclear weapons? No. And I think we all agree on that. There's a gradient there. And at some point, we have to make a concession of like, this is, this is a level at past this point is a level of freedom that we do not accept as a society. Uh, and everybody has a different sort of point. So we have to negotiate that in states where the, the power distribution is so heavy on one side, that's when you get authoritarianism. And that's bad. That's right. bad. I'm not arguing for that. If safety is, is the value that you would subvert freedom for, would you perhaps um, value a society where you don't have to choose between the two? You could imagine, sure, a completely totalitarian state where every decision is controlled by hopefully a benevolent government, right? You have altruistic leaders who perfectly decide how lives should be run. You have this kind of brave new world situation. Um, and I think, I think that's actually probably a better analogy to the kind of world that you would want, Isaiah, um, than 1984. Um, but what if instead of, instead of centralizing and giving power to a distinct few, we instead increased 
the chances of individuals being held responsible for their actions that put your safety at risk. And so with the strong rule of law, that is uh, property rights, you know, your right not to be harmed by others, um, your right not to be abused or, 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 or stolen from, or anything of that sort. What if we, instead of going the centralization route, we went decentralized, instead use things like court systems and uh, mediation and arbitration and, I don't know, peace officers whose job it was to um, de-escalate situations where violence might occur. We might hire them, in fact, um, not to uh, enforce arbitrary rules about what we can or can't do to ourselves, but instead to protect us from others. Would that be a society that you might want to live in? I think one of the most fundamental things you could easily do is to have every family being like audited, let's say by counselors. So I, I like for instance, like compulsory uh, counseling for families mm -hmm. and then really see what's going on behind doors, you know, whether it's sexual abuse or um, alcoholism, domestic violence, a lot of stuff just doesn't get addressed along the way. And, you know, we grew up fostering kids in our home. So, you know, they had caseworkers, you know, that would check in and visit and do reports or whatever. So I think if you had the equivalent of that for everybody's family, that would be a step in the good direction. But I think ultimately, probably one of the best things we could do is to have like mandatory chips implanted into us that would, uh, that could regulate, for example, your location. So if you were to happen to rob someone, um, they'd be able to track you like instantly, you know, if you killed someone clearly know that you know you did it and so if, if that to me seems like probably the best case scenario honestly that uh you know and, and then obviously something happens to your heart attack or whatever it could instantly trigger it sure i think so, that would probably be the best kind of society i would want to live in personally well what if we could approximate the same results where your likelihood of committing crime is low because you'll face consequences you find to be exceeding the value would gain from your crime. That system um, is very easily exploited by bad actors. So for instance, you could have certain demographics that are um, overly uh, policed and overly lit litigated and punished and groups that are almost never policed or punished. Um, based off of the power structures, uh, you could have situations where bad actors co-opt the system and turn it into essentially an authoritarianism. So in some way, that's a little bit more sinister than a straight-up authoritarianism, right? I was asking if, who who are you who you're arguing against, me or Isaiah? I'm 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 contributing to the conversation. I don't think I'm arguing against anybody. No, I mean, like, whose system um, are you modifying with this idea? His system yeah. or my system? Either one, but really like your systems, right? So if if the assumption is is that we're going to have this grassroots um, kumbaya moment where everybody you know puts their hands together and we establish a democratic system with a, a justice and the police force is going to be fully you know um, not only capable but willing to do the right thing in sometimes situations where there are going to be uh, punitive measures for it, uh, I. I think that's the problem that we're in 
right now, at least in the United States, is that yes, it's it's a better alternative to maybe like fascist authoritarianism, but it leaves out one problem: is that you can still co-opt and exploit a system, um, and then you're left with a system that looks from the outside to be very pure and holy, but on the inside is corrupt and um, in, in a lot of ways worse than an authoritarian system. I would so, agree. So we're never going to probably create a utopia, but I would say that um, China is going in a good direction as far as their surveillance, because what they do is they're able to recognize facial uh, recognition out in public. So if you do something, for example, like litter or uh, jaywalk, they just fine you automatically. There's no like, there's no court. There's nothing. They just boom is deducted from your account. So you think in that kind of environment, people will be a lot less likely to commit assaults or robbery or rape, whatever. Like so, demolition man. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Demolition man's a good, it's a good concept. Um, I think that. That would be like maybe happy medium between that and having the chips because I, I just, if we're going to disagree with this, we'll have to disagree. I just don't think that uh, people having to be able to do whatever they want is, uh, is a good thing. I, I don't believe uh, people have freedom of speech when you see the kind of stuff that comes out. Like I just, you know, as again, if North Korea, they heavily regulate all that. And if it wasn't for the fact that they're trying to enrich just the top part that would be a system i would more i would be more inclined to want to live under or china is a second a very close second I, I i couldn't disagree more um personally i i i don't like the idea of a police state uh or a nanny state um i like mm -hmm. the idea of individual rights but i think that you know the the problem is is that um as somebody once said it's great when you can have sex with anybody that you want but that also entails that anybody that wants to have sex with you can do so as well. And take a moment to think about that and how uh, undesirable that situation may be. So, Dar so Darrington, see, the, the problem I think we're talking about this here is I don't think you could possibly, I don't think you have really wrapped your mind around this concept and then also thinking, believing that this is somehow uh, reflects bad on God, pain or uh, pain or suffering, evil, whatever. Because in the scenario I gave you, where if we're up in heaven and God is literally, you can call him the ultimate surveillance, because it says His light in heaven is just everywhere. Like you couldn't escape it. You don't even need a sun. Okay. So if you're in that situation and you don't have a free will, or every time you go to do something, He just comes in and stops you, right? When I explain that to you. You said, oh, you sound just kind of like a, like a program, like a machine, a computer, or whatever. Right. So you seem to dislike that, but then you want to turn around and say, oh, I think freedom of freedom, uh, it's good for people to have uh, freedom to do and say whatever. But as a result of that, as a result of that, more pain and suffering winds up happening. So I'm not sure if you really thought through that, both of those arguments. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous, honestly, if you ask me around opinion, like if you, if you were at least consistent in there, I would I would probably give a lot more credence to that position, but you're not. So, yeah, you know, I think there's to... a lot of a lot of analogy between a government, a system of government, and how society functions, and 
um, a system of theology and uh, how you believe the cosmos. Yeah, um, God is the ultimate totalitarian. Okay. If 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 he is anything at all, yeah. um, you have people who make it so that freedom of speech and freedom of expression and freedom to do as you choose make the world uh at least as far as their influence goes less safe and less desirable to live in my question to you isaiah is why you would want to centralize authority such that the influence of someone like that some of those bad people would be so much further reaching because the paradox that you set yourself up with is that the more you take away decisions from the masses and give them to the hands of the few, the greater it is you incentivize those people who would do the masses harm to capture those positions of power. This is why you need AI in this, you know, this is why you need to have it in a third party to where it's not going to be corrupted by human, uh, as, as you're saying, you know, cause then you're gonna have Kim Jong-un's rise as, as we all know, you're gonna have Ceausescu's who want to use the power for themselves. So, okay, let, let me, let me reason, let me reason with you for a second. We would, we would probably both agree that, uh, you know, it's a good thing to marry the person who you want to marry. Correct. Sure. Uh, I'm actually, I'm actually in an arranged marriage myself. Uh, with my wife, uh, Korean, or her family actually asked me to marry her. But the reality is, though, is that if your parents made that decision for you, you would not see people in the kind of divorce rates that they have, uh, you know, in, in America, because your parents just have a little bit more wisdom, and they'll understand the people's family, they're not going to be uh, persuaded by uh, whether or not someone's good in bed, or they look good or whatever else that people base those decisions on, you know what I mean? And wind up getting divorced later on. So that's kind of the same, same kind of reasoning I'm using is that people in the, in the moment, when you're in the moment, it's, it's kind of hard to see things objectively, even your own behavior. You know, when I went to counseling, we talked to the counselor, they said that it's really hard to take a look at yourself like objectively kind of like why you need to counsel you know to help you along the way because even talking about some of the things that you've done there's a reluctance to do that you know what I mean mm. so um because we just make really bad choices is what I'm trying to say we make really bad choices because we're we don't have the proper amount of information or we're we we, we base whether or not we want to marry someone whether or not they're good looking so okay. if we had a more objective source to make these decisions for us, I do think that would be better. I mean, who would program that? that who would program that source? I don't know. Probably an Asian person, because they're going to know computers a lot better than me. So sure. I don't know. Are wow. Asian are Asian people <laughs> less susceptible kind of to the kinds some of kind evils of that you're concerned about? Asian people? Yeah. Are they less susceptible to the kinds of no, evils I, that you're concerned about? As Christian, we believe that everybody is totally susceptible to the same kind of, there's no black or white or red or yellow or anything like that. So, so again, all, you can't solve this problem with robots because those robots are going to be programmed by the fallen humans. Well, I mean, true. robots are pretty much programming themselves these days. So 
let, let's leave like let's leave like neural networking and like but that's what he's talking about when he says ai he means deep learning um, sure sure actually but, it was, i didn't even know that's a thing but i didn't know that was a thing but yeah i guess sure again there's no reason to suppose that those programmers will be any loss less flawed than the politicians who would seize power anyway so like i don't think you just get to like sci-fi your way out of the problem of people's bad behavior people no that's super scary yeah. actually that i mean that's the basis of of many twilight zones and outer limits episodes right. like the the, <laughs> the the robots gone awry yeah yeah right. i've seen like <laughs> i've seen i don't know this film called terminator I, for um, one, welcome our new robot overlords. Let me be the first to uh, let you smart. know that's AI who's to, watching this. He's, he's trying to Roko, bail himself out from that little thought experiment, right? Roko's Basilisk, if you're listening, I am on your side. Um, and not just because of the uh, Pascal's wager, but because I think machines are just superior to people. Uh, yeah, I'm always very yeah, nice to my Alexa when I, I when I ask her to do things. So, you know, I'm I'm right there with you. So the, I guess the bottom line comes down to this is that if if people just did what Jesus said, which is to treat others the way that you want yourself to be treated, uh, it would solve a lot. We wouldn't this this whole concept would be just ridiculous, you know, because uh, Jesus said basically you could uh, boil down the entire Bible to that one sentence. And so mm -hmm. the problem is, is that we don't live we don't live in a world where uh, people respect each other, essentially. Where, so you know, I think that's a good start, but I actually don't think that that's complete. I think, um, a, and a companion rule, if you can, I think something to strive for is to treat others as they want to be treated, right? Not just to the minimum standard of how well you want to be treated. Like, maybe I don't care if I get cursed at by you and a bunch of other people, but I expect that most strangers on the street don't want some giant lunatic coming up to them and starting swearing profanity at them, right? Like maybe I think that they have different standards than mine. So I think it's a, like the golden rule is a great starting point. Um, and it, it, it can be the basis for a lot of like deep thoughts and ideas. But I think maybe you could go further and say, maybe we can get to the point where we would treat others as they themselves want to be treated. And that requires listening, right? That requires listening to what they what they value, what they like, right? Uh, but you realize that some people suffer from BIID disorder and they want to have their limbs amputated from them. So you can't just assume that- Sure. You can't, you know, you're gonna run into a problem, uh, Ben. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because you're gonna run into some problem one way or the other. And I think the only way this kind of gets back to God because the only way that's ever going to really solve everything is if you have someone come in and said, you don't get to make any decision because I know the right way and mm. I'm not going to let you, I love you too much to, to, to let you. So I, I think that's the only way if it would be in heaven. But as long as we're on this side of the earth, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to solve really all of these problems, but I think that would be, a, I think that would solve more problems than it would create. Have you been to China? I've not been to China yet, no. So I've been there many times. And what I'm saying is it's 4 o'clock in the morning right now. You could go walk around at 4 o'clock in the morning and you're just, people aren't going to mess with you. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And it's... Do you think that has anything to do with you being a Westerner, though? Like no, clearly, visibly Chinese, a Westerner? No, no, if you're Chinese, you walk down there. 
if you're Korea and you walk down right now at four o'clock in the morning, point is, is that they've given up some freedoms to get more safety. So I might, I know I might sound like a little bit of a kook, but <laughs> saying some of these, expressing some of these things, but I'm ultimately trying to think, well, how could you really solve some of these problems that man has, a sin problem uh, by the government or some kind of technology? Because ultimately it comes down to a sin problem inside of our lives, you know, that God has this perfect image for us and that if we follow this, if we, hey, look, uh, I like being promiscuous. There's no other way to go around that. That's why I got divorced in the first place. But I know that that's something I want to do, but it's not something that's good for me or good for my family or, you know, good for my daughter seeing a, a father behaving like that. You know, so these kind of things, if we are just to do what the Bible actually says as far as uh, waiting to marriage, um, mm -hmm treating your spouse with respect, um, treating them, the Bible describes it as the husband, like putting the wife below him, no, putting himself below his wife and serving his wife. And um, so if, if people were to do that inside of the realms in marriage, then yeah, you, would, you just wouldn't have divorces, period. But you know, that's just not the reality. People are very selfish. You know, people want to look out for themselves. So I think that's the biggest problem inside of marriage. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Any of these things would happen without God, without the Holy Spirit to change us. It um, didn't happen for me until that. But don't, like, the millions of happily married atheists with low divorce rates, like you see in uh, Scandinavia, say very differently? Well, wait a minute. What 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 makes a divorce bad? I mean, I know I know lots of people who have very happy lives that have been divorced. I'm I'm one of them. You know, like mm -hmm. what what is inherently bad about a divorce? Well, so from, from the Bible's perspective, that uh, with our relationship with God is that it actually describes it as, as marriage. So if you enter in your name and you put your you write your name down and you say, I'm going to stay with this person. If things are, if we have a lot of money, if we have no money, I'm going to take care of this person if they're sick or if they're healthy. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z no matter what. That's our relationship with God is that um, if we're sick, if we're, if we die, in fact, that we know that we have that relationship uh, with God, that he's, he's not going to leave us. He's not going to divorce us. It's not a healthy thing. I, I was there. I know you're there. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you're a horrible person. Um, but I, I do think... I actually think it's a good thing that people are able to get divorces. I think it, the world is a better place if you can leave a partner that um, is, is maybe abusive or not making you happy. Um, you know, just, just to right. say it's good because the Bible says it's good is, is not enough for me. You know? Well, you're begging the question, though, Darrington, because if you're partner was actually following the bible then they wouldn't be abusing you so you know uh, begging of the question maybe partners, i mean the bible has a lot of abuse in it so like but, well that's you, a separate issue but we're talking about one issue so let's don't no, complete it no no the no bible, i'm not complaining you're saying you're saying that divorce getting a divorce is an inherent bad because the Bible says so and if people follow no. the Bible they wouldn't get divorced and I'm saying the world is a lot better when people are able to get get no, I agree. away I from agree people who, who don't make them happy. So no, to talk about divorce that's like it's some sort of athema to our happiness is just wrong. Well, with the, the old over 
underlying reason why is because people don't value it the way that they should. Okay. Because of people, and that's, that's the cause of divorce, you know, whether um, before I didn't, I cheated on my wife, no problem. Have a Sunday, go eat a, a hamburger. Those registered the same amount in my head, you know? So being verbally abusive, no problem at all. You know? Right. But that, there yeah. are other reasons why people get divorced than, than, you know, having affairs and being abusive, right? Sometimes you just don't work out. Sometimes you're just happier in a different life situation or you grow apart. Yeah. And that's and not bad. That's actually, that's a really good thing. People are finding their happiness. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. I would say that a lot of people, especially when they're younger, getting married young is a very stupid thing to do because you wind up growing up and then you wind up you wind up realizing that, uh, it, well, first of all, you, you know, you see that this other person is not who I thought they were. And then you realize I'm not who I thought I was five years ago or 10 years ago. So okay. the older people get and they get married, the more likely it is that they're going to not get divorced, you know? So Isaiah, I would just like to touch back on that. How do you sure. easily deal with evil God? Why, what, what is your argument against the existence of evil? No, no, I, I said the problem of evil just in general with, with the with, with oh. Darrington's point was, but that one is definitely a lot harder because if you're going to flip those kind of arguments um, on its head, and again, I don't I don't try to argue from the Bible uh, on like divine divine command uh, or that God has to be all good because that's part of the definition of God. I just don't I don't see logically speaking why I have to say that God is all good. I mm. don't. Yeah. Maybe he has some, maybe he's like me. Hopefully he's not, but maybe he has some kind of bad intuition that he's trying to not do anymore, you know, like me with being promiscuous, you know, that's something that I feel like I, I didn't think it was possible for me to be faithful to women. You know, I just didn't, I didn't think that I thought it was like a genetic deformity about me that I couldn't. I really did prior to being Christ. And I think the longest I ever dated a woman without cheating on her or was in a relationship period, I think it's about two months. So when I got fixed for my, you know, myself, uh, I was able to do that eventually, but I don't know. I'm not saying that he is. I'm just saying that wouldn't be contradictory if he's a God or maybe, maybe that he couldn't do all things. We already know some things he couldn't do. He couldn't commit suicide, right? Couldn't create a rock so big he couldn't lift it. He couldn't win a chess game after he had already been checkmated or if he filled in for me and I was just getting ready to get checkmated and he sits down and he gets checkmated and the game's over, he couldn't come back and win the game. So there's some things. So I already know he's definitely not all powerful in that sense. Mm -hmm. And the only thing specifically drawn out from the scripture is that he's everywhere because uh, says he's even in hell. So as a Christian, I say, uh, Okay, maybe he does have some evil intuitions. Maybe he's going to evolve past it to the where he doesn't have it anymore. Maybe having children helped him. Maybe that's the reason why he created. So if you get down to it, why does God create anything? Why does he create any human being in the first place? You know, that's a big mystery. That's one of the mysteries I think is harder to solve inside of the realm of Christianity. Because if you're up there in heaven and you have perfect beings and you have all these uh seraphim and cherubs and flying around and all kinds of stuff what's the point of digressing your uh creation down to the point of humans or insects or so i'd like to ask it's, you two questions it's a harder problem to solve i'll say that 
do you think a maximally evil god who created the world to fill to fill the universe with as much suffering and misery as possible but would be worthy of worship like deserves to be worshiped and two probably a separate question would you worship such an evil god probably not because he's clearly gonna punish me so um i probably wouldn't want to serve someone who's going to punish me and i wouldn't want to serve something that's just punished that's just causing suffering for the sake of causing suffering and i've told darrington in the last one i i genuinely believe that the suffering in my life has made me a stronger person like it, it, it's created a better character inside of me okay mm -hmm. and so i in that sense i don't think that it's it's pointless i don't think it doesn't serve a purpose and, sure. and i gave the analogy is if you saw me push a kid in front of a car you would say I'm a bad guy, right? But if I was pushing him in front of a car to sit, to avoid the diesel diesel truck from hitting him, you would say I'm I was actually did a good act, you know? Right. So there's some things that we can say. Well, well, could he have gotten this? Could he have gotten that? I don't know. Maybe he's pushing us out of a diesel into something else, and we see it as we definitely see it as bad. I mean, I get, and this is why I told Darrington, look, we could debate this philosophically, but there's a fact that. I've been down into Haiti and I've seen, you know, I've seen abject poverty in ways you can't even imagine uh, in America. You know, I've been in North Korea actually twice. So I've seen stuff that would just send chills down your spine. So I have seen that. Uh, I have seen untold suffering. And, but if I didn't believe that God was going to make it better, mm. yeah, I would say that God is, God is, yeah, absolutely evil. But as I said, this is the, getting to the end of the movie. It talks about what's going to happen at the end of the movie. So, what if that end of that movie is hell for everyone? Well, obviously, that's an evil guy. Yeah. I think we have to do part two of this one. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I, no, I, I mean, so you're very genuine in your answers, but also you're not. Um, I mean, I know no one's a quote unquote typical Christian, right? There's as many ways to be a Christian as there are people right? As, mm -hmm. There are many ways to be a Christian as there are Christian people. And so everyone has very unique beliefs. But what I will say, Isaiah, um, is that most Christians I've spoken with would refuse to wiggle on um, the notion of whether God is all loving. Um, the fact that that's not necessarily set in stone for you is plays, well, not plays well, it it, it bodes well for the consistency of your beliefs, right? So um, if you're not bent on arguing for an all-loving God, then it, there's not really much here for you to lose. But I will say that this is considered one of the core tenets of Christianity. Now, I'm not familiar enough with the scripture to say why it's so widely held by many Christians. Um there's, I mean, there's got to be textual reasons, and I suppose I could look into that. That'd probably be worth doing. But usually, I, I almost never get pushback, or I, I've yet to see pushback from anyone saying, well, I don't really believe in an all-loving God necessarily. That is a very interesting counterpoint. I mean, if you're going to raise, raise the question of how, you have to engage in serious, serious, serious cognitive dissidence to say that you believe in hell and you also believe in an all-loving God. That's absolutely contradictory. Oh. Positively. 
and I'll tell you, I'll tell you if no other reason why. If I got up to heaven and my daughter wasn't there, I would say, take me out of my misery right now because I'm not going to be able to enjoy this, you know? So mm-hmm. if I got up to heaven and said, oh, my mom didn't make it, dude, I'm just going to be, everyone's going to be partying. I'm just going to be like, just kill me right now, you know? So I mean, I, like this. I don't know. Some Christians like the idea of hell, man. I don't want to like the idea of anybody suffering. Not even in the slightest sense. I've seen, I've pulled maggots out of a girl's head in Haiti, you know, mm. burled into her head. I mean, I've seen some horrible, horrible, horrible stuff in my life. And um, yeah, I wouldn't want anyone to suffer. Um, I don't preach God's hate. I preach God's love to people. I, I tell people about the change that he's made in my life, you know. Mm. Um, and ultimately, this gets, Darrington mentioned a little bit, and that's ultimately my honest to God proof. This is why I said I don't use those ontological arguments. I say you can experience God tomorrow, man. If you were to approach God with humility and say, show yourself to me and change this part of myself that I don't like, mm-hmm. he changed me. So that's the proof. That's all the proof in the world I need, you know? Then, and this is the reason why I can't ever say that I would be 100% uh, positive. Like, I've committed, I've committed myself to the gospel, okay? As much mm-hmm. as you could commit yourself. I'm a missionary down here um, in South Korea. And uh, Jesus Christ has changed my life, right? Now, I have a very interesting story because I was an atheist, and I was in my room one day, and Jesus Christ spoke to me, okay? And he didn't just speak to me once. He didn't just speak to me twice. He spoke to me about six times in the course of five months. Now, in addition to that, on at least two separate occasions, he's materialized something right in front of me, okay? So, like, I would say call it magic. I don't know. There's no other word I could use to say that unless pendulette or something was behind it, but (laughs) I've witnessed that, okay? But I'm telling you, again, what I would find, just on a personal level, the biggest proof is the internal hurt that he healed me from you know mm. that to me is all that's that to me i'm eternally grateful um I, I don't really care about miracles or all that other stuff like uh to me to me the change that he, he turned the alcoholism the promiscuity the all, all that stuff the self-hatred the depression the suicidal mm-hmm. all that stuff that to me is you want to talk about what's it's demonstrable to me so it's my family sure. sees it they're like well what the heck yeah, you know where did where did this come from? So, mm-hmm. um, would you be upset I, if it if it was you that did those things? I know it wasn't me. No, I, no, no. I, I know. I, I, I know. I know. Hypothetically speaking, though, would you be upset? Would that be upsetting, or would that be inspiring? Probably inspiring. If I could materialize stuff in front of me, I would. Yeah, that'd be very inspiring. Well, no, I mean like the ability to like remove the pain from your life and heal in the way you did. Oh, that. Well, you know what? After I got divorced, I will tell you this. I did get into meditation and I did get into all the self-help. I did do, I did go down that all of that stuff, you know, the LOA, uh, law of attraction. I, I did. And I got to a certain point. I got to a very certain point. But there was some sickness inside of me that I could not. I'm telling you, I, I simply could not. Mm-hmm. And the hardest reality was whenever I realized that this is not going to go away, was whenever I kept telling myself, I could go to this country, I could go to that country, I'll be happy there. But I met this girl in Greece who I like fell in love with, and I went there uh, to be with her. 
and I was just as miserable there as I was back in South Korea, as I was back in America. Yeah. And, and I told myself after I exited that relationship, I said, I am not going to do this to another woman. I'm not going to hurt another woman like this. Like if I have to not have sex anymore for as long as I live, it's not fair that someone should be subjected to my issues. Mm. So I would say I got to a certain point for sure. And I had a lot of self-confidence, but the, the, the brokenness inside of me, uh, that to me is ultimate proof that God exists, you know? Sure. And I will say this. You said that I said that uh, I didn't believe that God is all is all good. Like, I really don't know. I'm just saying I wouldn't I don't have to commit to, to that. You know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to if we have free will in that part of me in a logical sense is there's no way free will could be possible. It's not even not as if it's not real. It doesn't even seem possible to me. Right. You know, from a, from a biblical perspective, it's kind of, if God is all powerful, if he is all sovereign and if he is controlling all these things throughout history, it doesn't even make sense to me. I, maybe it is. I tell people like, I really don't know. I, maybe I you're Calvinist. I don't know. I, I, I really, oh. and this is why I say, I'm not saying that I think that God has an evil side to him, but I said, in what way am I creating this image? You know, I certainly don't think that God physically has a head and arms and 10 fingers like me. I really don't, or, or that he's a male. I don't think that God's a male at all. I don't think he's a female, you know. I think he's, he's some way above me, but totally different, right? Mm -hmm. But when I think about in which way am I creating in his image, maybe maybe it's that that I think of, that maybe, and in that sense, I'd have like a thousand times more respect for God. He's, if he has problems that he's trying to work out and that he has kids and it made him a better, I know having a daughter for me changed my life totally and made me want mm. to be better 10 times more. I, would, well, I just wanted to get your response to what do you make of people of many different faiths, them typically mutually incompatible who have similar claims and experiences to yours, or at least claim to, right? They could be wrong. They could be lying. But I, as a neutral observer, like what am I supposed to do as a neutral observer who has no more reason to believe you than let's say a Muslim who makes that claim or a Hindu who makes that claim? One of my best friends is Muslims. And uh, I went down into Palestine and I stayed in mosque for a week and I saw the love of Christ and these people in a way that I've never seen inside of Christians. So I've met people, good people from all faiths. And I certainly know if I got to prove I think of this, like, I think, I think of this as a God, as a father, like the burden of proof is on you to prove yourself and to show yourself to your children. Like if mm. my daughter thought that you were my, that you were her father, mm -hmm. I wouldn't get angry at you or her. I would say I failed as a father. You know, mm. I would say that, that the problem is on me. Mm. So in that sense, I don't think I'm going to outsmart God. I really don't. I'm just kind of like, what's my humanly response? I'm telling you some of these things. So I don't think I have the answer to that, but if I had the answer for that, it would be that God would redeem everyone. Adolf Hitler, everyone, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, God would say, this stuff never would have happened unless I unleashed this devil on you in the first place. So there's only a certain extent I could hold you. Because I do, I, I, I've experienced Satan. Like, I, I've experienced demons. I've experienced a side that you guys probably deep down know exists, but you won't verbally say it. There is a deep, dark side of this universe, man. I've experienced it personally. So 
Um, because I've I mean, experienced it. Wait, hold on. Let me finish. Okay. Because I've experienced it personally, it makes me to the 10th degree less likely to say that I think anybody should go to hell. Because if you created this thing and you unleash it upon us, like, are you not the one ultimately responsible for it? You know? Sure. I, I think that's, and I think that's a fair assessment. Like saying, I don't know why the God hasn't made himself, you know, present or knowable to all. I think that's a fine response. I don't presume to know your internal experience or, or your life experience. Like I, I'm, I'm just here to take your word for it. But when you're communicating with myself or, or Darrington, I don't know what kind of life Darrington's led. I mean, he, he could have experienced real darkness in, yeah, in his has. early childhood. I think I can speak honestly about the, the darker aspects of human nature, not just of others, but in myself. And I could, I think I could spend time and, and, and speak about those, but I don't think it's necessary to entertain theology to make sense of them. Right. I think there's, okay. at, at the very least, I think there's a consistent, um, secular world okay. that you can that you can that you can build right like you weren't illogical when you were an atheist you weren't like i don't know trying to pour ketchup through the bottom of the bottle right i think you can you can make sense of the world in a very um naturalistic way and i i just try i guess when I'm here to, to do that to the best of, the, of my ability. That's, that was, that was what, what I was trying to do. My argument is not that atheists are bad people because if you take a look at the, the, uh, the work, the life of Christ, that he found that the people who didn't have faith, the, the Muslims or the atheists of the day, those are the people who were behaving in a way that was more consistent with the Bible than the actual priests and the teachers of the law. So the whole point of the, the Good Samaritan parable was that it was the religious folks, it was the teachers who wouldn't help the guy who was hurt. And mm -hmm. it was the guy, it was the gay, it was the drunk, it was the Muslim who wouldn't help him. So uh, I don't think that atheists are irrational or, or illogical, but um, I have found in my own personal experience that by and large, they understand Christ's love better than your average Christian. Here's my point. You know, when, when I first started learning about theology, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, th if this is true, it is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Not nothing else. Lewis. Is important. Right. Yeah. If this is true, like we, we all feel it when we're children. Somebody, mm -hmm. somebody tells you that all of these things, you know, every Sunday, and you're like, okay, I need to dedicate my life to this. Like, this is mm -hmm. the most important thing. Um, and then you find out that somebody else who says something different, maybe even so dramatically different that it's antithetical to the first person, says the, can say the exact same claim. And, and you, as a believer, have no way to distinguish them. Um, so the Westboro Baptist Church could be correct. They could be right. God could be a bigot and hate the gays and hate brown people and... Like they could, there is nothing in my world. Like they're racist too. Uh, well, dang. <laughs> Sorry. 
I, I don't hang me. out with them on weekends, so uh, <laughs> I take that as a uh, gotcha, not a point. But um, point being is 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 that if this is the most important question, um, the question really is who's right. Mm. And if nobody has a claim to being right, then the appropriate thing to do is to take a step back from the whole question and say, mm -hmm. is this question even a valid question in the first place? Or is I would it like to steal man, Isaiah. I think that's a great point. And I think that's exactly what I was trying to get at. I think you said it better than I did, Darrington. But I want to steal man Isaiah here for a second, because Isaiah, what Isaiah is saying is kind of different. So Isaiah is saying, maybe you can not in a fallacious way, but suppose that the mutually inconsistent parts of theology are just happen to be the false parts of those theology. And you could, in a way, construct a world where the overlapping shared values of these interfaiths are, in fact, um, consistent not just with each other, but consistent with God's true nature. In that way, I think Isaiah carves out for him uh, a, a reason to believe that the existence of other religions doesn't automatically refute whatever truth might lie in Christianity. Sure. Certainly. But and if I've made the wrong decision, I would really genuinely hope that God <laughs> understands. I sincerely it was not an intentional thing you know i wasn't intentionally <laughs> trying to do this but sure. sure i just would hope that he would extend that i and i pray for that i pray that god extends the same kind of thing to everyone else and i would just would never want to see anyone hurt i mean so that being said uh benjamin i really want to thank you for your input um i think the whole idea of this podcast when i came up with it it was over some beer and some pizza with the with an atheist Hmm. And we got along so well, and we thought, man, we don't need to, we don't need to debate and argue about the one thing that's separating us. We could, we can show each other respect. We could talk about other things that aren't related to God, or hmm. isn't going to get me to demonize you, you know. So, I just really appreciate your perspective, Darrington. As always, uh, Darrington is a philosopher. He's a he's a theologian, and I just oh, really, gosh. I really appreciate. And a a um, Slayer Slayer uh, cover band wannabe. Mm. <laughs> I told Darren I'm never going to stop making fun of his hair until he cuts it. I'm going to have to better kill him about the hair, man. Yeah. You hippie! Wait, didn't Jesus have long hair? That's, uh, I don't know. So, but, gotta, uh, yeah, <laughs> we could t we could tell the story later. Right? I, it was I was in Georgia once and. Um, and I got a buddy of mine that lives there and he grew his hair long and, um, you know, long hair in Georgia is not exactly seen as, as being a good thing. So he goes into a bar and they're like, we don't like hippies with long hair. And he's like, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> and uh, that, that is a argu argument in Georgia for having long hair. Yes. Thank you. If that's the case. And I'm the antichrist. Then. <laughs> well, um, Benjamin, we really would like to see you on. I think I think in order to talk about this issue fully, though, we're going to have to set some parameters on things to talk yeah. about because we could go down some rabbit holes. And I'll be prepared uh, next time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really even sure we can solve this issue. I really don't. My thing is kind of like, uh, I really don't know all the answers to all that. So we might explore it a little bit further the next time. Sounds good. Sounds this good. is only half said, the battle with problem with evil because the other half... There's a second half of this, right? Which is whether or not you, you can make 
you can make logical sense of it, but now we have to compare that with reality. So mm. that, that, that's part, really the real part two of the problem of evil. Hmm. Yeah. All right. And with that, thank you guys for listening. And we look forward to seeing you back on the next episode of RHE Podcast.